Islam, is it a religion of peace? What do Muslims believe? Are they a threat to the world today? Welcome to Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist, Dr. Pat Zuckerman. Recently, Pat invited Dr. Norman Geisler to address Islam at a conference in Hawaii. Today, you'll hear part one of that presentation. And by the way, both programs are available at evidenceandanswers.org. It's crucial resources like these that we offer at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat's articles, books, interviews with leading scholars, and past programs available for download on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, all at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, Pat Zuckerman presents Dr. Norman Geisler on Islam. I can't possibly tell you how important this is. Mormonism is important. Jehovah's Witnesses are important. Buddhism is important. The emergent church is important. The Word of Faith movement is important. But nothing compares to the importance of Islam. Islam is the greatest threat to Christianity in the world today. No close seconds. And so I want you to listen carefully as we give the background and beliefs of Islam. Mecca is the holy city. There are hundreds of thousands of people who are taking their annual pilgrimage. The background of Islam, the word means submission. A Muslim is a submitted one. The brief history of Islam, he was born in Saudi Arabia in 570 AD. His father, Abdullah, died before Muhammad was born. His mother, Amina, died when he was only six, so basically he was an orphan. His grandmother and uncle cared for him. As a boy, he traveled as a shepherd and a trader. Mecca was a pagan city filled with polytheistic idols. He finally married a wealthy widow at age 25 because of the influence of Jewish and Christian beliefs in that area. He grew increasingly discontent with Mecca's paganism and increasingly convinced there was one God and began to preach that. He was born there in uh, Mecca. He eventually fled from Mecca to Medina and uh, his life and ministry of about 23 years is uh, spanned in that particular area. He received his first revelation when he was 40 years of age in the year 610 AD. This is a description from a Muslim biography of Muhammad. Muhammad had not moved from the spot when Revelation came to him, accompanied by the usual convulsions. Muhammad recovered. He sat up and began to wipe his forehead where beads of perspiration had gathered. Stricken with panic, Muhammad arose and asked himself, what did I see? Did possession of the devil, which I feared all along, come to pass? He feared the cave might be haunted. His first impression, which is a lasting one, and anyone who's taken true and false tests or multiple choice, no, it's generally the right one. His first impression was he was possessed by a demon. He was being choked by some spirit. He was perspiring. He was going through the normal reactions of an occult experience. And he told his wife about this. And his wife talked him out of it. Muhammad first thought they were demons. He related the story to Kadaja. She told her Christian cousin. She convinced Kadijah they were from God. Muhammad continued to get these revelations, having become convinced by his wife that they were from God. He thought they were from demons. She said, uh, the cousin said, no, this is God speaking to him. And she convinced her husband that they were from God. His wife's aspiration, as she did on earlier occasions when Muhammad feared possession by the devil. So now she stood firm by her husband and devoid of the slightest doubt, she said to him, Joy to my cousin, be firm. 
by him who dominated Kadijah's soul, I pray and hope that you will be a prophet of the nation. With an encouraging wife like that, and his ego bulging, he took off to be the prophet to the nations. So he was born in 570, got these so-called revelations in 610, preached in Mecca with little result. Few family members and others believed. Most pagan Meccans rejected him. He attempted to appease some of them to get some converts. He said, okay, you don't have to believe in the one true God, and you can keep your gods. And these verses came known as the satanic verses, because this is what he said to them to begin with. Did you consider Al-Hat and Al-Uzah? And Almanat and the third, the other, these are swans exalted, their intercessions expected, their likes are not neglected. In other words, you can go ahead and worship these gods. Later, he said, Satan had slipped this into the text, and they were removed from the text, and what is now Surah 53, 19 to 23 was put in there. When Rashti wrote his book on the satanic verses, he opened a very sore wound here because this is the ultimate insult to the prophet, and so fatwa was uh, placed upon him a death threat, and he's still been running for his life ever since. Muhammad accommodated to the idolatry of this group and later said Satan slipped in the verses. Great embarrassment to Islam. He preached with little results. In fact, he got a night vision of a trip to heaven, and that is later the sore point in the Israeli Muslim thing because though it doesn't say in the Quran, it is claimed later that he went to Jerusalem and there ascended into heaven at what is now the Dome of the Rock. This was after his wife Kadijah died. Tradition says Gabriel took him to Jerusalem where he was taken to heaven. The Dome of the Rock is built there in honor of his ascent to heaven. This is a supposed spot that Abraham offered Isaac. It's where Solomon's temple resides. It's a highly volatile location over which, of course, a holy war could break out at any time. That's the Dome of the Rock, looking at it from the east, from over the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley, uh, a place uh, where there is no reference in the Quran uh, to it, but uh, tradition says Muhammad ascended into heaven. Now, the Meccans rejected his message of one God. Medina was more favorable to it, and so he fled. That's called the Hijra, and all of uh, Muslim history is dated by that fleeing. In 622, which is their division of time, like B.C. and A.D., A.H. for uh, Islam, in the year of the Hijra. Uh, Muhammad's strength was increasing. Mecca was decreasing in power. He uh, mustered up an army of 10,000 people, and when he came back to Mecca, he had very little resistance, and he took over the city, and that's been the holy site ever since. Quranic teaching about abrogation. Most people don't understand that Muslims believe that God can change his mind, that he can say one thing one time and change his mind and say another thing. And so one of the great abrogations was that at first he preached peace and tolerance, but it wasn't getting any converts. So Allah changed his mind and said, whatever communications we abrogate or cause to be forgotten, we bring one better than it or like it. Do you not know that Allah has power over all things. So he received many revelations. These revelations were organized into chapters called surahs, and there's a book about the size of the New Testament with 114 chapters uh, that are ranged from large to, to small. Muhammad died in 632. Islam spread as far as France. 
A hundred years after his death by 732, where Charles Martel defeated the Islamic armies at the Battle of Tours, or we'd all be Muslims today. The statistics of Islam, 1.2 billion people in the world are Muslims. That's one out of every five persons in the world. That's the size of the population of China. Second only to Christianity, 1.8 billion, fastest growing religion in the world. Now Christianity is the largest religion, but Islam is now the fastest growing religion, but it's not growing by converts faster than Christianity, it's growing by multiplication. If you can have four wives, you can produce a lot more children, they have larger families. About 3.3 million Muslims in the United States. That's more Muslims than Methodists. That's more Muslims than Episcopalians in the United States. The biggest growth is among African Americans, and Israel is a tiny little sliver of a nation, if you look at a map, surrounded by about 26 Muslim countries. So Islam is not only a great threat to Israel, it's a great threat to the whole of Western civilization. The basic beliefs of Islam, one God named Allah, Prophets, Muhammad is the last prophet, angels, good and bad ones. The Quran is the word of God, superseding the Bible, which has been corrupted. And there's a final day of judgment with a heaven and hell to follow. Let's take these one by one. The belief in one God. God is absolutely one. Think of God as a circle. The Christian concept of God like a triangle, three corners, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in Islam, there's one person, like a circle. God is absolutely one. There's only one person in God. Allah has no partners. The Quran says over and over, it's blasphemy to say there are more than one person, in, there's more than one person in God. God has 99 names, not one of which is Father. Uh, and of course, they repeat the names of God. Prophets, Muhammad is the last prophet. There have been 124,000 prophets in the history of mankind, one for every people group who have ever lived. Key prophets include Noah, Job, Lot, Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, David, Solomon, Elijah, Zechariah, Jonah, John, Jesus, and Muhammad. Muhammad is the last of the prophets. God's revelation is complete with him. There's no more revelation since then. Hence, the nation of Islam is a cult because it claims a prophet after that, or Baha is a cult because there was no prophet after the 7th century. The five greatest prophets were Noah, a preacher of God, Abraham, the friend of God, Moses, a speaker with God, Jesus, who's called the Word of God, and Muhammad, who was an apostle of God. These are the five greatest prophets in Islam, and Jesus, of course, is one of them, and so that's one of the ways that we can uh, witness to them. They believe in angels, good and bad. God created uh, numberless angels, there are good angels, bad angels, and jinn, genie. Uh, remember Aladdin's lamp, uh, which are in between good or evil. There are four main angels, Gabriel, the angel of revelation, Michael, the angel of providence, Israel, the angel who summons resurrection, and Israel, the angel of death. There are two angels that follow you your entire life. One records your good deeds, one records your bad deeds. On the day of judgment, they recite them to God, he weighs them in the scales, and if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you go to heaven. If not, you go to hell. The Quran is the errorless word of God. The Quran does reference other books like the law called the Torah, the Psalms, Abur, and the Gospels, the Injil. In other words, 
Muhammad knew about the Bible. He couldn't read or write. He says so in the Quran. He knew of some of the traditions from the Bible, and he knew the Bible existed. And on occasion, he would say, if you don't believe me, go check your Bible. Go check the Old Testament. Go check the Gospels, which Muslims say have subsequently been corrupted. They were not corrupt in his day, or he wouldn't say go read them. But since then, they've been corrupted. So the Bible in our hands is corrupted, not the Bible that he referred them to go to read. The Quran means recite. So there are 144 surahs or chapters written in Arabic, arranged in descending size, 86 from the Meccan period, 28 from the period he was in Medina. It's about the size of the New Testament. It was copied word for word from the eternal Quran in heaven. There's an eternal Quran in heaven, and Gabriel recited it word for word to Muhammad, who preached it, later written down, and the Quran today is the exact word-for-word copy of the eternal Quran in heaven. It was supposedly dictated word-for-word, and Muhammad called himself an unlettered prophet, so he just recited it, and over a period of 23 years, he received these revelations. He recited it orally to his followers. Tradition says it was later written down from their memories by Zaid ibn Thabit, a secretary, it was supposedly standardized by Uthman, the third caliph, that would be the third leader after Muhammad. Upon hearing that there were many different versions of it, he standardized it, tried to destroy all the other manuscripts, and the Quran today is supposedly a perfect copy of that, which is supposedly a perfect copy of the one in heaven. So that Muslims today will say, your Bible has been corrupted, our Bible is incorrupted because it's perfect. So the five basic beliefs are one God, prophets, angels, the Quran, and a final day of judgment, heaven and hell. Everyone will die. When he dies, the soul leaves the body. And in the end time, there will be a resurrection of the bodies. Two angels record our deeds, recite them on the day of judgment. If one believes in Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet, and uh, his bad deeds outweigh his good deeds, he doesn't go to heaven. If the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, he does. So that the Orthodox believe that hell and heaven are real and the fire in hell is literal and there are literal virgins in heaven, 72 if you die a martyr, that you get and there are literal feasts there as well. Moderates hold a more symbolic view of heaven. The Orthodox interpret heaven and hell more literally. And when you die, you get 72 virgins if you're a martyr. Someone said uh, that that isn't really virgins. It's the same. It's very similar to the Arabic word for raisins, and they're really getting 72 raisins. But I doubt seriously whether anyone would die for 72 raisins. Two views on the Messiah's coming. Most Sunnis believe, which is the largest group of Muslims, that Jesus will return, break the cross, die, because he didn't die the first time, in the general resurrection, he'll be resurrected, and he'll tell all Christians to become Muslims. The uh, Shiites believe that the savior figure is not Jesus, but the Mahdi, who was the 12th Imam, the 12th and the successors from Muhammad, who mysteriously disappeared, but will return in end times and will establish righteousness on the earth. And that's what Iran and their leader are looking for, and they're looking for uh, disturbances in the world that will lead up to that final coming. So the two main groups are Sunnis and Shiites. The Sunnis are about 80% of all Muslims. They elect Muhammad's uh, successor. 
They emphasize the authority of other written traditions like the Sunnah, the conduct of Muhammad as the pattern for the conduct of Muslims, the Hadith, the sayings of Muhammad are uh, also uh, considered authoritative, and they believe in the separation of church and state, of religious and civil authority. Saudi Arabia would be an example of a Sunni country, though it has a small group called the Wahhabis, who are the radicals who control their school system and from whom the uh, famous Taliban uh, leader bin Laden comes. The Shiites, about 10% of Muslims, and the other 10% are smaller groups. Muhammad's cousin, uh, Ali, succeeded him. Emphasis is on the authority of the Iman. He's kind of similar to the Catholic Pope and the belief that religious authority should be over political powers, such as you have in Iran today. And of course, these Shiites overflow into Iraq, and Iraq has both groups, and it's the uh, conflict in Iraq of these two groups that causes much of the problem there. There are smaller Muslim sects, the Sufis. This is a mystical pantheistic sect, which is contrary to traditional Islam, which is monotheistic, pantheistic, at the heart of the great Islamic civilization. Muslims are often proud of the so-called Ottoman Empire, the great Muslim civilization. But it was a, it was a heretical uh, group. It wasn't orthodox Islam. Orthodox Islam has never produced a great civilization. There were people like Avicenna, really Ibn Sina, which the Latins slurred into Avicenna, and Ibn Rush, which they slurred into Averroes, and Al-Kindi and Al-Farabi. These were great philosophers, great thinkers. They influenced mid later medieval Christians, but they were Sufis. They were a mystical cult in Islam. They're the Wahhabis, a small militant sect, primarily in Saudi Arabia, that are strongly legalistic, radical, anti-American bin Laden comes from uh, this group. There are also the Druze in northern Palestine, the Alawite in Syria, and the Ahmadiyyas in Pakistan. They're a group that believe that Jesus did die, his body's buried in Pakistan, and they got the grave over there to uh, prove it. The Nation of Islam, a heretical black American cult led by Louis Farrakhan that rejects traditional Muslim teaching and proclaims Muhammad Elijah as a new prophet. In fact, Farrakhan really is uh, succeeding him in the line of revelations from God. But this is considered a cult by Orthodox Islam. Now, that's the basic background and beliefs of Islam. Let's take a look at the basic practices. If you want to get to heaven, you've got to perform a set of works based on five different things. The Shahada, you have to recite the creed. There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. That's all. That gets you started on heaven. Just say there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Not four spiritual laws, just one. Then the Salat, you have to pray five times a day toward Mecca. Most Christians only pray twice a day, so that would be quite a task for um, most Christians. Then the Psalm, fast one month a year, the ninth lunar month of the year, Ramadan, in the fall. Uh, you can't eat or, or drink or have sex during daylight hours. After 6 p.m. and before 6 a.m., you can do all of the above. Uh, four, the Shakat. Uh, you do what most uh, Christians do. Give about a 40th of your income to the Lord. A little humor there. Uh, the Hajj. Once in your lifetime, you make a pilgrimage, if you're physically and financially able, uh, to Mecca, Medina, where Muhammad is buried. These five things are your basic obligations. The Hajj. Here's a picture of the Hajj, and you can see them in their white dress and uh, hundreds of thousands of them. Malcolm X, who was 
a black Muslim who had come through this heretical cult, when he went to the Hajj, he saw true Islam and he was converted to true Islam and then Farrakhan had him bumped off because he defected from his group. Other practices, the treatment of women. Now, everything I'm giving you comes from either their inspired Bible, the Quran, or their traditions, or their biographers. Virtually every quote here is a primary source. Polygamy, a man may have four wives. Surah 4.3, if you fear that you cannot act equitably toward orphans, then marry such women as seem good to you, two and three and four, but no more, four, no more. Muhammad, it's a different story. We've got an exception for you. For you, I have a deal. Surah 33.50, O Prophet, we have made lawful to thee thy wives to whom thou hast paid their dowers, and those whom thy right hand possesses out of the prisoners of war whom Allah assigned to thee, and any believing woman who dedicates her soul to the Prophet, if the Prophet wishes to wed her, this only for thee, and not for the other believers at large. You can have as many as you want, basically, and he had up to 15 wives at one time. Surah 2033, it's okay to marry an adopted son's divorced wife. That's called incest, in case you don't know the word. Surah 33, then when Zahid, Muhammad's adopted son, had dissolved his marriage with her with the necessary formality, we joined her in marriage to thee, in order that in the future there may be no difficulty to the believers in the matter of marriage with the wives of their adopted sons, and Allah's command must be fulfilled. On the table in the back, there's a book that a converted Muslim and I wrote called Answering Islam. That book was languishing along. It had sold 20,000 copies in eight years prior to 9-11. was just about ready to die. And then the trade towers fell, and it sold 20,000 copies in the next eight weeks. My co-author is a converted Muslim who knows Arabic. He said, this is the verse that started him doubting. Because basically what Muhammad is saying here is, uh, hey, the reason I'm committing incest is so I can set an example for all future Muslims in case you want to know, can you marry the daughter of your son whom he divorced? Wife beating is approved, Surah 434. And by the way, this is all from their inspired text and their official translation by Ali. Men are in charge of women because Allah has made the one to excel the other. As for those from whom you fear rebellion, Admonish them and banish them to beds apart and scourge them. If you've got a wife you're suspicious of, you don't have anything on her, you, but you just think she might be rebellious, just beat her on your bed. The majority of people in hell are women. I don't know if you knew that uh, from the Hadith. Then he, Muhammad, passed by the women and said, O women, give alms, as I have seen that the majority of dwellers of hellfire were you women. They asked, Why is it so, O Allah's message? He re replied, you curse frequently and are ungrateful to your husbands. If you didn't swear so much and weren't ungrateful to your husbands, there wouldn't be so many of you in hell. But the majority of people in hell are going to be women. I am not making this up. This is all from, from their writings. Women are deficient in intelligence, in case you didn't know that. I have not seen anyone more deficient in intelligence and religion than you, Muhammad is saying. The woman asks, oh, Allah's messenger. What's deficient in our intelligence and religion? He said, is not the evidence of two women equal to the witness of one man? They replied in the affirmative. He said, that's the deficiency in intelligence. It takes two of you to equal the witness of one man in court. So you're basically 
half wits. It takes two of you to make a whole wit. Kill unbelievers. Surah 8:12. When your Lord spoke to the angels, I will be with you. Therefore establish the faithful. I will cast a dread into the hearts of infidels. Strike off their heads then and strike off from them every fingertip. Hard to hold a sword if you don't have fingertips. Hard to pull a trigger if you don't have fingertips. Kill unbelievers. Strike off their heads. Surah 4. Kill those who leave Islam. My colleague uh, was debating a Muslim on the radio when we were going to do a seminar in Islam in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He said, do you believe in killing people who convert from Islam to Christianity? He said, of course. He never denied it at all. Well, you can't. The Quran says so. They desire that you should disbelieve as they disbelieve so that you might be all alike. Therefore, take not from among them friends until they flee their homes in Allah's way. But if they turn back, then seize them and kill them wherever you find them. And take not from among them a friend or a helper. Don't befriend them, don't help them, and when you get a chance, kill them. We're out of time for today, but we're going to pick it up there next time as Dr. Geisler presents part two of his evaluation of Islam. We appreciate you joining us for Evidence and Answers of Pat Zukrin, and it's our hope to keep a quality program on the air and on the web that presents an intelligent response to the issues of our day and demonstrates the truth of the claims of Christ. If you agree, please support us with your prayers and gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing our resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. You can download past shows on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, read Pat's articles, and purchase Pat's new book with Dr. Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org.